1: Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news consistently before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you want to hear about and talk about in football. I mean, McGarry, and with me, as always, is Duncan, middle name, beware of cheap imitations, castles, exclusive news on Arsenal. Uh, We will be talking also about the plans for a biannual World Cup and the return of your questions answered uh, a subject which we've not done for a while, but um, you guys have been asking for it, so we thought we would bring it back. And indeed, of course, the Donkey Award it being a Friday podcast. Duncan, uh, we're going to start with the North London Club, who are in certainly what could be described as a mini-crisis uh, bottom of the league, having not won any of their games so far uh, in this campaign. It is our information that uh, there are problems um, all over the place at... Uh, Uh, Arsenal, in terms of what has been described as a fractured dressing room, cliques have formed uh, as a result of uh, both results and a lack of uh, movement in the transfer window with regards to players who either wanted out or who the club wanted out. And that has caused a certain amount of friction. Uh, Mikel Arteta's squad. Arteta himself, of course, has come under pressure. Uh, the players uh, do not appear to be responding uh, to their head coach, as well as the fact that uh, they've not been achieving results. Uh, as we both know, um, when results don't go a club's way, the players will automatically like to point fingers at other people, whether it be fellow players or the coach himself. Uh, It's uh, our information here at the transfer window that uh, there is indeed um, doubt within the dressing room about Arteta's tactics as well as the way that they are applied and uh, as well there is uh, some um, unrest with regards to morale and the fact that players who were wanting to leave and didn't leave uh, are not training well uh, and also the fact uh, that other players who have come in as well uh, are integrating some better than others Uh, so uh, despite the fact that Arsenal were one of the biggest spenders in the summer transfer window the the result of the spending has not yet been seen in terms of positive results. Duncan it's, these things are, are do happen at football clubs and tend to be uh, the precursor to major changes. Um, it is again uh, our information that Arsenal have begun to look at possibilities, in terms of replacing Arteta with Christophe Gaultier, who of course uh, won the league 1 title with Lille uh, and has since moved to Nice, is being considered. Brendan Rodgers, who turned down the opportunity to join their North London rivals Tottenham Hotspur before Nuno Espirito Santo uh, took that job up, is also someone who they are looking at. And... That is not good news for Arteta because clearly uh, the club may be losing confidence in him. Edu, the sporting director, uh, has invested an awful lot of faith in Arteta by bringing him in uh, and is defending him as best he can. However, um, Edu himself does not want to lose his job. Therefore, um, if sacking Arteta means saving his own job, then that could well be the deciding factor. What do you think, Duncan, with regards to Arteta's, uh, let's just say, shelf life as uh, Arsenal manager, um, should uh, they continue on this very difficult run of results?
0: Well, the worst ever start to Premier League season no goals, no points. Um, <laughs> CIS Football Observatory put together their um, latest group of statistics on the the amount of transfer fees spent to create, to assemble squads across the the big five leagues in European football, Arsenal came out eighth um, in all the clubs in Europe with uh, 630 million euros of of fees committed, including um, performance related uh, payments. Uh, so eighth in Europe and twentieth in the Premier League. It's it's not a clever situation, and the way the team is playing is not it, it's not one where you think uh, the results are doing them a disservice. Uh, the results are actually reflecting what they're doing on the pitch and the organisation uh, that's in place. Um, you can look at, at Wolves, who similarly started badly. Whereas um, Wolves have, have created a lot of opportunities to score and, and I think have been unfortunate in all three of those games, Arsenal, I don't think you can argue we're unfortunate to be where they are at present, which means things have to change. They have to change rapidly. Um, I think you're right to mention Ado, and I think it's, it's important to note that Ado is very recently given an interview. Um, an extensive interview defending the transfer policy that that's not something you see happen very often sports director of a club giving an interview with with one of the the major broadcasters of the Premier League and allowing himself to be grilled on what they've done in the transfer market and why he thinks it, it's going to turn around and to summarize what he said he, he His argument is that they've had to move a large number of players out. He says 21 players have been removed from the squad in a one-year period. They've signed 10 players during that time, and seven of those 10 are under 23. He puts a lot of emphasis on the, on the age of the squad, um, saying that the majority of the squad are under 23 years of age. In fact, he says that they only have five senior players in, in his view um within the group who are Bernd Leno, Granite Xhaka, Thomas Partey, Alexander Lacazette, and Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. Now it's notable that of that senior group, Bernd Leno, they they spent a huge fee to bring Aaron Ramsdale in um to be a competitor and, and in Edu's words to be part of the future of the club. Um so another goalkeeper Added at a high cost, Granite Jacka. They were ready to sell to Roma if Roma had come up with the transfer fee um, that Arsenal were looking for. The player uh, that didn't happen because of an injury in in um, Roma's squad to their left back, which forced them to redirect money elsewhere. So they never met um, Arsenal's transfer fee, and Jacka was disappointed to to miss out on his move to Serie A, um, but handed a. A long-term contract by arsenal after that fell through then you have alexander lacazette who's you know regular listeners to the podcast will know was on the market throughout the window arsenal were very keen to sell the player but couldn't get um a suitor who would uh, provide them with enough cash to do the deal and would convince lacazette to move he has one year left in his contract and we understand is happy to run that down and move as a free agent in a year's time. And finally, Pierre-Americk Aubameyang, who was also available on the market in the summer. So you talk about frictions within the squad and players not training very well. I, I, I know you don't want to name names, but I would uh, I would guess that one or two of those names might be involved as uh, as problem areas within the squad. Which makes it harder for Arteta? Um, I think I'll go back here to when we we had Graham Hunter um, on the podcast talking about um, Arteta's qualities as a coach and, and arguing that if Arsenal did decide to change, that Arteta would end up at another club would be very successful at another club and Arsenal fans would be asking why did they allow him to leave a few, you know, a month or a year to to that event taking place. But he also mentioned that Arteta was struggling with the squad and with the uh, handling some of the bigger name players, players who are on higher salaries, um, players who were not prepared to adhere to the way he wanted the team to play and wanted the team to prepare. Um, It doesn't look like that's been resolved yet, despite those players being shifted out in the summer. Um, Despite what Edu's saying about the the radical changes to the squad and, and the plan that they've been working on for such a long time, they need that to demonstrate results quickly. Uh, and I think it was also noticeable in in that interview when when Edo was asked about what he thought the squad was capable of, were they capable of a top four finish? He didn't want to. He didn't want to say top four, top six, top eight, or top ten. He said, "I'm just really looking forward to seeing the squad play together. I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone fit." Um, it it's uh it's a bad situation for Arsenal, and if Arteta can't change it then the easy route for the club to take is to change the coach, particularly with that big investment and that that plan that the club are selling as being the answer to their problems.
1: Lots of fan uh, dissidents as well, though, Duncan, with regards to the start and Arteta generally. Um, and this is a club who are almost um, replicating the mistakes made by Manchester United. In when they replace Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, in terms of employing managers who are not suited or not good enough for the club, uh, with regards to what certainly supporters are expectant of, um, in terms of their uh, ambitions, Uh, and of course Arsenal without a title, Premier League title that is, um, for some time. It seems to me that uh, patience may be running out as well as the fact that the team is not playing particularly well, not scoring goals. They had hoped that Arteta would bring back a uh, philosophy of football whereby um, having served under Pep Guardiola that they would be playing a type of entertaining football as well as scoring goals. And of course, as you pointed out, they've scored no goals so far in the Premier League. And also, Arteta's win ratio is very poor. We've got two big games coming up. Um, if they don't win either, or indeed, even worse, if they lose against two teams that they would expect to defeat, uh, can you see this process being speeded up uh, in terms of replacing them?
0: Look, I think there was um, too much expectation on Arteta in the, in the first place. Um, we talked about this when he was hired. You're, you're putting someone who has never managed a club and, and actually had quite limited experience as a, an assistant, albeit at one of the biggest clubs in, and, the, and the most successful club in English football uh, at that time, into a position where he has to solve problems that, let's face it, Pep Guardiola never faced. Has never faced in his career. Pep Guardiola has always gone into clubs who have the strongest squad um, in the division, and always been uh, blessed with large amount of capital to to change the squad and get rid of players he doesn't like. Um, so it's it's much easier playing Guardiola type um, dominant, exciting football when you have the best squad in the division and. Um, absolute support from the hierarchy above you a lot more experience uh, in different terrains and of being the the man in charge um than it is taking on arteta's role um where you know, a lot of the problems are inherited we have to say that they haven't won a league title since 2004 they spent very aggressively in the final years of Wenger's reign to, to try and uh, turn their fortunes around. Some of those transfers have been big mistakes. Some have been successful in terms of goals scored. But um, I think the majority of those players have been problems for Arteta to solve and not all of those problems have been solved yet. And And I think you're right to highlight he has two games that he would be expected to win coming up. Um, and if he doesn't get results from those two games, regardless of what the hierarchy think about it, he's going to be under immense pressure. Were he, were he to lose against Norwich and worry to lose against Burnley, Burnley, you're looking at a situation where for the amount of pressure he has on him at present, that would be magnified um, extensively.
1: Which leads us nicely into a question from one of our regular uh, listeners and part of the Transfer Window podcast community, Charlie who has asked the question, why didn't Arsenal get a striker? Um, they, they tried, um, or certainly they were interested in several strikers, one of them being Odson Eduard, who went to Crystal Palace in the end. Um, I suppose, Duncan, the answer is quite straightforward, isn't it, in terms of why they didn't get one, because they've got two very expensive ones already.
0: Two expensive ones who do have good goal returns so that they did want to change there. As I said, they were both available on the market. In particular, they wanted to move Alexander Lacazette out, um, but they were unable to do so, therefore did not replace either of them. But yeah, there was work being done um, looking at replacements, had they been able to open up those holes in the squad.
1: This week has brought around a very interesting question uh, which has been posed by a former Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger about holding the World Cup every two years rather than every four years. Um, It's created quite a lot of controversial um, opinions uh, in the game with regards to what the validity is um, around the proposal itself. And... uh, Mother on Zidane's floor, another one of our regular uh, listeners, has asked the question, Duncan, with the World Cup being a winter tournament in 2022, do you anticipate next season being a strange one since players' bodies are conditions for tournaments being in the summer? Now, we'll come round to answering that question, uh, Sam, uh, in uh, a little bit. First of all, we're going to just talk about the uh, implications potentially, as well as the logistics of holding a World Cup biannually. Uh, Duncan, I, it strikes me that when I heard Janet um, Infantino, um, who I have personal experience of speaking with uh, a man who I believe has a forked tongue, um, that when he says, uh, we need to have a World Cup every two years because there are too many meaningless matches. In actual fact, that translates as we need to have a World Cup every two years because FIFA tends to make around £500 million from it tax-free because they demand tax-free when they choose uh, the venue for the World Cup. Or, sorry, I should say when the executive committee vote for the venue for a World Cup. Uh, that it's really just a money making exercise for FIFA uh, to double their income effectively over every two year period. Um, I've heard a lot of people uh, say uh, that this is a danger to players' health as uh, our friend Zidane's, modern and Zidane's floor says. Um, Jurgen Klopp in fact, just uh, uh, today has said that people have to uh, think about what this does to the players because they will never get a break.
0: I think it's a, it's a very strong possibility because it will come down to a vote, um, of the FIFA associations and, uh, Infantino has huge control over FIFA associations at present. Um, this is maybe a subject for another podcast, but go and look at Filippo Clare's work on, on, um, how Infantino and FIFA have taken control of the African Federation, um, and how he's, uh, he's increased his political control uh, around the world. Um, the, the, the sense is that the majority of, um, the associations will vote in favor of this. It probably needs a two third majority vote because it will require a, a change to FIFA statutes. But, you know, the direction of travel is very clear. I think what Jurgen Klopp said uh, today um, was important. He's, and 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 gets to the heart of 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 what this is about. He said, whatever people say, it's about giving that. It's about giving different countries opportunities. In the end, it's all about money. That's how it is. I think money and political power and influence. Um, and Infantino wants to add to the revenues of. FIFA. he's tried a club world cup um he hasn't got uh the the level of financial bid for that club world cup that he was expecting a club uh, a world cup is a much uh greater source of revenue and guaranteed income if he can secure that that allows him to distribute the money around the football associations and if he um distributes in a way that satisfies those associations, he is, can expect to be re-elected and stay in his role at FIFA president. I think, I think it's interesting that he's chosen Arsene Wenger to lead this. Um, kind of, He's almost like a, a Trojan horse in some ways. And, and I think it's interesting to look at how Wenger has pushed this plan because he's not pushing it from the perspective of a biennial World Cup is a good thing in itself, and that's the principal reason for doing this. He's pushing it from the perspective of there's too much international football being played. International windows as they are, with the your know, five windows through the season, is very disruptive to the players, very disruptive to the clubs, um, makes it difficult for both parties, and is particularly damaging for players who are based in distant con- confederations. So, uh, obviously the best players are based in Europe. Players that have to play in South America or Asia in particular have to travel very long distances, go across time zones, physically demanding for them. I mean, there's some good testimony from people like Tim Cahill about how difficult that has been in his career, the, the sort of shuttling around the globe. Um, not even training, going straight into matches and then coming straight back again and going into to club matches. I think Wenger is right to say that this is a problem. He's right to say the inter- international match calendar is is an issue for football and needs to be revised. His proposal that you concentrate into one or two windows, only competitive games, only qualifiers, for um the world cup and uh the continental championships the european championship in in europe's case is where the 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 issue becomes more questionable that i don't see any detailed plan from him as to how you actually run these qualifying tournaments he talks about reducing the size of, of of qualifiers um Maybe six matches in in uh, four team groups, which would uh, determine who goes to the World Cup and who goes to the European Championship. But that that is a is a solution that would kind of work for Europe, but wouldn't work for Africa, for example. Um, you're you're talking about a a forty eight nation world cup we've all fifa has already voted for that that's got its own problems um that they, they want to have uh, groups of of three nations in the first round with two of those going through so you've got issues of of uh, nations colluding to uh, to ensure that both of them go through to the next round it, it's a problematic thing in itself but if you have 48 nation world cup the slots are determined at present by FIFA as nine slots for Africa. Africa has 54 nations, um, which means you would have to have six nation groups. Um, so six nation groups means 10 games. If you're playing home and away, how do you slot those 10 games into to one month of, of football? Um, South America, different problem. They have 10 nations and and six slots. So you you don't really have much to play for when you've got six going through from 10. Um, Asia would have a similar problem to Africa and you've got 47 nations and and eight slots. So um, again, looking at six nation groups. Um, Then you can ask questions about what does this do to international football if you're saying that the only time you play for your team, your, your international team, is in that one month slot for qualifying games. And if you make it through in the, in the finals of the tournament, is that how does uh, the manager of England or Scotland build a team when all he has is one month and all of the games are qualifying games. So they're, they're important games where they have to get results. What happens to players who um, need to play for the national team to qualify for visas to play in the Premier League? If you're injured in that month where your national team is playing uh, for qualification, then you're probably going to miss out on the, on the requirements to get a Premier League visa. Um, how, what does it do to the it's the domestic leagues themselves? What, what's the impact? on a league, if you break up not for 10 days as we have in in a standard international break, but you break up for an entire month in the middle of the season. It's a really radical change. I get why Wenger wants to change the international match calendar. I get why he wants to reduce the demands on players. I think he's right about that. I think there is too much football, but I don't see that the answer to too much football is to double the the number of major competitions um, and condense the the qualification periods for international football into that one month. I, I think there's a lot of politics to go on here. I think UEFA and the European leagues have been very explicit in their opposition to this. I'm intrigued to see whether Infantino will use it to try and secure some other... Um, strategic advantage for him in football uh, by negotiating the threat of a of a biennial World Cup off against something he can secure in terms of access to the club game.
1: I've also heard a lot of um, former international players um, speak about a devaluation of the tournament if it's played every two years, uh, which I can understand uh, in terms of uh, the special nature of the World Cup and playing in it. And so therefore, I wonder, Duncan, if it was played biannually, that some players um, might think to themselves, well, there's another one two years anyway, so, uh, you know, I can miss this one if I've got a minor injury or uh, anything else that's going on. In Neymar's case, maybe sister's birthday.
0: Uh, look, that is a, a a serious issue, and I think one that that's rightly raised by UEFA, um, by Alexander Chefferin is you do you devalue these competitions by having them too often. I think there is a nice balance to the four year cycle, um, for the World Cup with the with the European Championship in the, the four year interval, so in in the half space between them, um, and you can do that with other. Uh, confederation competitions, and and I think if you're playing, if you're as people have pointed out, if you're a top player in in one of the European nations or South American nations, playing in the Premier League or playing in one of the top European leagues, you will not have a summer off. You you sh- you can expect to qualify for the European Championship twice in a four year period and the World Cup twice in a four year period and you're expected to deliver the intensity of this competition the desire from the majority of these players to do well in these competitions is what makes them still great um you can lose that by by basically forcing players to say at a certain point i need to take a break i can't you know, i can't do this Year after year after year, I can't work for my main employer. I can't compete for a league title. I can't compete for the Champions League. I can't compete for domestic trophies and then be expected to be at the peak of my game for that major international tournament. Wenger's proposing that there's a mandatory, I think, 25-day break after each tournament. I, th- I think the idea of a mandatory break at the end of the the major international tournaments is a good one but I think we also need down years. Um, and, and I do believe that the, the current system is better for the footballers in terms of the, the, the lack of of major international competitions in this proposed one. I get the argument. And, I, and again, I, I think this is very en- genuine on Wenger's part that he wants more nations to have access to the World Cup. You're going to go from um, 32 slots 32 opportunities across four years to 96 opportunities across a four year period. So you will get more lesser nations competing in the World Cup. Wenger has always been interested in football internationally, globally. He's a guy who always attends major tournaments, obviously made a big part of his career on um, detecting talent in other areas of the globe and, and bringing it into the European game. I think that principle of allowing better access to international football and of spreading the wealth amongst more nations is a good one i've just i just question whether this is the way to do it and i'm very sure that on infantino's part um the priority here is not those audible goals it's power and more revenue for fifa
1: well i remember duncan speaking to misha Blatini before he was um, president of UEFA uh, in a FIFA Extraordinary Congress in Buenos Aires in uh, 2002 or 2001 um, and saying that uh, when he was at Juventus uh, if it was a World Cup year he would effectively be inverted commas injured from March until the end of the season because he needed to be fit and that is peak form to play for France uh, in that tournament. And he said that he knew of many international players who did the same thing. So what you've just uh, articulated uh, is very relevant in the sense that you might, and this is probably why clubs will be extremely against this notion because they will cause it will cause conflict between club and country. Uh, which exists anyway, um, but would become more intensified should the World Cup be played every two years rather than every four years. Uh, the other thing that I would think about in terms of, you know, the proposal itself is that it's it, it does, I think, devalue the um, actual uh, significance of the tournament itself if it is played twice as much as it is right now and um, that clubs and players will themselves uh, be forced to make difficult decisions. I mean, we've just had uh, a circumstance due to the pandemic where certain players were um, prevented from playing for their national teams because uh, they would have to quarantine uh, on coming back and miss Major matches And uh, this seems to me To be uh, a real Minefield in terms of uh, How things would Pan out in the future uh, With regards to uh, That particular Circumstance if it came to it In terms of injury etc And I spoke to one Premier League manager um, In the last couple of days Who said to me That about the recent, well, last two weeks of World Cup qualification games as being irrelevant because uh, it was so obvious that that some, most teams who you expect to qualify, qualify easily anyway. And in in fact, the qualification process itself is almost becoming um, de facto rather than a... An, an actual competition, um, okay, maybe that that he was referring to European qualifying, uh, so that doesn't necessarily apply to all confederations, but um, it does beg the question, you know, what is the validity of both the qualification process, um, especially if it's going to be, uh, the, the tournament itself is going to be held every two years.
0: So you you mentioned um, the the problems with the pandemic. To be fair to FIFA, they actually raised that as one of the advantages of their new system um, or the proposed system of having one month of qualification and condensed qualification, putting all those international games in a row, is that we would help deal with a future pandemic situation. I think that's a bit opportunistic, but it it you have to say that they're correct in that you would uh, if you can move to one continent or one area to play all these games quickly, then um, I, you're not asking players to to travel back and forward between Europe and having the, the the scenarios we're seeing at the moment with Premier League clubs preventing players from going there. Um, if there is enough uh, descent towards the biennial World Cup, we might have bigger issues because uh, you might see these clubs um going into active conflict with fifa and and saying we are not going to allow players to play national team games which which opens a whole new avenue when you're trying to secure players um and uh, operating into their contracts uh terms that uh, they wouldn't be allowed to play international football there would be certain players i think who would would be happy to trade um higher salaries or superior teams for, um, uh, an inability to play international football. But then there's a lot of others for whom international football is of huge importance, um, who I think it would be very hard to, to do that kind of thing with, um, let's go back to our question on the Qatar world cup which was...
1: Murder on the M- floor? yes, who has asked, uh, do we anticipate next season being a strange one since players' bodies are conditioned for tournaments being in the summer? Of course, Qatar 2022 will be
0: played in the winter. I think it will be a strange season. Um, and I think, look, it will kind of be a, a tester for Wenger's proposal because what we're going to have is a, a European season that goes halfway through um, we get into the swing of it and then the players are taken away to prepare for the World Cup and play in the World Cup and they're going to be out for probably six weeks, if not longer. So we're going to have a a, a season that's broken in half um, and we will have, I think, fundamental issues with conditioning because players will be taken away from their what are now very most clubs very carefully calibrated physical preparation regimes and training regimes and uh, shifted to a national team regime that can be totally different from um, the one they've been using at clubs and will be focused on immediate success and immediate performance in that uh, tournament. Um, The national team coach is not going to take account of the fact that the players have to go back to their clubs afterwards and and try and spare their bodies and leave them in the best condition for the remainder of the season. They will be going out to to win and to do the best in in that tournament they can. So um, yeah, it, that will be an interesting test run and and it will be. Um, I think it will make for a very messy uh, league season, and I, I suppose there's one other element in it which will be interesting is that you will get players from the major European clubs going to a World Cup in a f- probably a better physical condition than they do to normal World Cups because they won't have played a whole season um, and be dealing with whatever residual injuries they have from that season. They should be close to peak fitness, which in principle, should make for a more exciting World Cup, except that it's being played in Qatar, except that the temperature is going to be ridiculous and um, the the climate's going to determine that w- we probably will have relatively low placed football uh, as a result.
1: Speaking of which, call me a cynic, but when I saw the photograph of uh, the legends of the World Cup posing uh, as uh, they did with Gianni Infantino, around this conference uh, and advisory committee on uh, the idea of a biannual World Cup I couldn't help but think that the invitation of first class travel and accommodation uh, for a few days away uh, was probably more exciting than it was to actually be in discussions about something which they probably didn't believe in in the first place anyway However, that's just my opinion and uh, you're all all entitled to yours as well
0: well I'd, I'd just say you know, if, if I was choosing two english internationals former english internationals to to discuss this very complex and technical issue with fundamental ramifications for the for the future of the game i'm not sure my invitations would have gone out to John Terry and michael Owen.
1: i'm sure there're a good discussion and possibly even a we look at the um, Arabian uh racehorses while they were there. <laughs> uh that might be more interesting for them. Um <laughs> Premier League resumes this weekend, of course, after the international break, and uh some uh, major um Things will be happening, not least Cristiano Ronaldo's return, obviously, uh, and his second debut for Manchester United. Uh, however, we start with um, a question from, again, a, a very good um, member of our community, Indy Bunan, who has asked the question, Duncan, which of course we have discussed on the pod many times. What next for Anthony Martial now Ronaldo's joined Manchester United? He was way down the pecking order even before his arrival, Cristiano that is, where there are no serious takers from in the summer and can you see him moving in the winter window?
0: Um, I think uh, he's got a big fight on his hands if he if he wants to take that fight on to get playing time um, and to be the, the central striker um, in Solskjaer's formation. Solskjaer's talked about playing with two up front as well as with the, the standard three up front. So that would be an opportunity for Marcial, and it, it shows that he's prepared to uh, make accommodations and changes that now that Cristiano Ronaldo's arrived. Um, look, Marcial was available in the summer. Um, Marcial's agent was told to look for clubs. He offered them around a number of clubs in Europe, um, included in those number were Real Madrid, there were no takers um, at the the kind of financial level that was involved. Manchester United wanted a very significant transfer fee if he was going to be sold. Um, there would have been a very significant loan fee if he'd moved. And there is a matter of his salary, which I am told is 13 million euros net after he got that improved contract um, driven uh, to a, a considerable degree by his popularity amongst the, the Glazer family. So you're talking about one of the best paid players in European football, um, who had had a pretty poor season in goal return terms in a in a in a team that was scoring um quite fluidly in in the majority of matches, if not all of them, or when the, the game circumstances went in in United's favor. Um they were scoring lots of goals, but Anthony Martial wasn't. Um so it, it's kind of a test of his character i think um are you going to fight for that place in the team and demonstrate that you're the the best finisher at manchester united or are you going to happily wait on the bench and um and see if someone will take you in january which is always a possibility um for a striker because there is always clubs are always looking for forwards um or uh, or wait it out till uh, till the summer.
1: Certainly, the case in my experience, Duncan, of working in the market is that striker is the position that most clubs want to recruit in the January market, um, because obviously they're either competing for trophies or they're trying to avoid relegation. I think in Martial's case, being an elite striker, it would be the former rather than the latter. So I think uh, we can expect interest, especially, uh, as you said, his agent was marketing him quite aggressively uh, in the window, which has just closed. And I think that will go on uh, from now uh, until the January window as well in order to get the player uh, a move because, of course, he will be looking at... A place in the World Cup squad it's, uh, for the.
0: It's, diff- it's difficult, I think, at Manchester United because you need realistic pricing. I and mean, we've seen Jesse Lingard with one year left on his contract, wanted by West Ham United, and Manchester United asking £25 million for a transfer fee for, for a player that they essentially jettisoned and, and were happy to allow to go on loan him. Solskjaer has talked about how he's important to his plans for the season. I think Solskjaer's happy to have, uh, it's on record as saying he wants as many bodies as possible. It doesn't do him any harm to have Lingard there. But when you're asking £25 million for a player who um, is n- never had the potential of, of Antony Martial, you can question whether Martial, Antony Martial has ever dem- properly demonstrated um, his potential if you're asking that for him then you know that the the price um for Martial is going to be unrealistic in this market and United don't have a great history of um tempering their demands to the reality of of the circumstances of the market
1: well i don't there was no reality about getting 25 million for Dan James
0: they got they Dan James is a a young um, player who had suitors before um, he moved to Manchester United. One of them was Leeds United, who were very keen to sign him. Brighton and Albion also keen to sign him. Um, he has pace um, and uh, is a hard-working player. Um, you know, he, he has... I don't think he demonstrated himself to be good enough for Manchester United, but that doesn't mean he wasn't valuable in, in the Premier League sense. And and to be fair to United, that that happened very rapidly because of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, the money was on the table uh, and they took it. They didn't really have to push that hard.
1: I love it when you say things like he's a hard-working player. It's like when people describe um, the new boyfriend or girlfriend as having a good personality. (laughs) Anyway, on to the last question for this particular Q&A session of your questions answered. This one comes from Luxury Player at Claren Hi, Duncan, he says, which is nice. Has Ronaldo actually prepared to join? Was he actually prepared to join City? Or was this play just to trigger United? Why was he so intent to leave Juventus?
0: He was prepared to join Manchester City. He had agreed to do so. Um, The best answer to this is listen to the previous podcast. Um, We we talked about this in in detail. Uh, But as a summary, Ronaldo was presented with the idea by his representatives that if you're prepared to go to Manchester City, a deal can be put in place. He talked to Pep Guardiola direct. He was impressed with what he heard. Uh, City put the deal in place, but didn't finalize the deal. Um, at that point, Manchester United, who'd been aware of Cristiano's availability for months, again, something we reported um, very early this year of the proposals that were were being presented to the Glazers about the possibility of bringing Ronaldo back from Juventus, um, then they acted when they saw that he was gonna going to join City and they were gonna lose their uh, the most popular player they've had over the last um, twenty years to the rivals and probably or possibly that was going to turn Manchester city into champions league winners. Um, and the, all the full ramifications of that. Um, and he wanted to leave Juventus because he felt he was no longer at a club that had the potential to win the champions league. He wants to play until he's 40. Um, there are a limited number of years left to add the top European club trophy. Um, uh, further versions of it to his uh his incredible cv he wanted to be somewhere where he thought he could do that and look at i think his interesting interview he gave before this first game that he plays tomorrow against newcastle united saying i'm not here for a vacation before it was good winning important things and i wore the shirt before many years but i'm here to win Uh, It's a good chance for me, for the supporters, for the club to get one step ahead. I am ready and I think I will be a huge thing in the next three or four years. So it's, he wanted to be somewhere where he can win again and prove himself. um, Still further to be, and the the target isn't, he he thinks he's already demonstrated he's the best footballer of all time. The, The best, the greatest sportsman of all time is what he wants to demonstrate himself to be.
1: Well, to be fair, having seen him take his shirt off when he broke the record for international goals scored, it's fair to say he is a huge thing. And I mean that in muscle, <laughs> not, not in fat. Uh, quite incredible physique Ronaldo has, and I certainly wouldn't fancy playing against him. Not that I ever will. Um We will move on uh, to uh, the Donkey Award uh, because it is that time of the Transfer Window podcast to do so. And uh, we're going to basically honour, if you want to say that, although dishonour would be a better way of putting it, uh, the UK's Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, who this week made a massive blunder In saying that he had met Marcus Rashford uh, And in fact he had met Maro Itoje The England rugby international And not the England football striker Uh, So this will be the Gavin Williamson Award for mistaken identity Uh, Duncan I'm just going to open the uh, golden envelope as always That's quite an easy one this week That's good uh, so we have three. Interestingly, uh, no one will believe it. Scottish, uh, nominations in terms of the people who have um joined this very elite list. The first is Graham Sunnis, who, as manager Southampton, um, received a phone call to ask him if he was interested in signing the great George Weir's cousin, uh, a chap called Ali Dia, I'm sure many of you remember this, um, who then played a full 53 minutes against Leeds United for Southampton before Sunnis hooked him, having put him on as a substitute, uh, realising that, in fact, he probably had as much footballing talent as his grandmother. Uh, so Graham Soonis is the first candidate. Uh, The second one is the legendary, and some of you may not know this, but it's definitely worth uh, visiting if you get the chance, is the uh, John Lambie, uh, who was manager of Partick Thistle at the time in 1992 when Colin McGlashan, uh, one of his mainstay players, uh, was knocked almost unconscious and uh, on speaking to the physio. Uh, Lambie told uh, the physio uh, when he was informed that he might have to come off, he said no, he's not coming off, give him, give him the smelling salts, uh, get him on his feet and tell him he's pelly because McGlashan had said that he didn't really even know where he was at the time and the third and final but probably the most famous of all the great Sir Alex Ferguson who in a press conference uh, berated um, the Sun-Manchester United correspondent, Neil Custis, for a story that had appeared that day um, regarding United uh, and said to him uh, that it was rubbish, etc., etc. Um Only for the end of the five-minute rant at said Custis, Neil Custis said, I didn't write that story. It was my brother, Sean who watch for the Daily Express, to which Ferguson replied, too many Custises. So, Duncan, it's <laughs> over to you to decide if there are too many Custises or indeed Colin McGlashan belly Uh
0: We can never have too many Custises in this world, although you are missing a, a Sir Alex expletive in that. Uh, uh, I am.
1: I, 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 I'm thinking of our young, our younger listeners. <laughs>
0: Um, from that selection I think I have to go for, for the great John Lambie and uh, if only it was that easy to uh, to turn part um, Thistle players into the best footballer in the world we, we would all be doing it
1: he did have Morris Johnson to be fair albeit he was selling tracksuits <laughs> at the back of his car <laughs> before going on to, to stardom <laughs> in France and with Celtic and Rangers before upsetting Celtic fans the world over indeed that's definitely a podcast for another day Um, (laughs) that has been today's Transfer Window podcast Uh, please engage with us on our social media channels we are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Duncan's at DuncanCastles on Twitter. I'm at GarboSJ. Also, you can find us on YouTube. Just search for Transfer Window Podcast. We will be back next week. Uh, until then, just just me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.